0: In today's podcast, we will lay the groundwork for the proof of Jesus' resurrection by investigating some of the evidence offered by former Harvard Law Professor Simon Greenleaf. He is the author of Treaties on the Laws of Evidence. This is considered one of the leading classic textbooks of American jurisprudence in the highest courts of these United States. This podcast also covers who was guarding the tomb since the evidence clearly points to the resurrection of heaven's perfect gift in Jesus Christ. This lays the foundation leading up to where was Jesus for the three days between crucifixion and resurrection. I am Mark Russick, and you are listening to The Russick Outlook. As always, just my opinion. Good afternoon, or perhaps it's morning or evening wherever you are. Uh, This is Mark Russick, and you're listening to The Russick Outlook. So delighted to have you here Uh, Today we're going to be talking about where was Jesus during the three days between crucifixion and resurrection. That's right, Scripture has an awful lot to say uh, about where He was and what He was doing. It's a topic very rarely addressed, a lot of misconception out there, so part of what I'm trying to do here is get to the heart of the matter. As it says in Scripture, Jesus was in the heart of the earth for these three days. So where and what was he doing is really what I would like to dig into. Um, So hopefully these topics and others like them, if you're interested in it, uh, you'll see a video graphic on our screen. Please hit the like or subscribe button if you're listening or watching us on YouTube. (coughs) I'm sorry, or other social media platforms. Please do so. It helps us get the reach out, which is ultimately what we're trying to do, engage people in conversations uh, with topics that are sometimes not always talked about or delivered in in an open area, meaning that you'll bring in two sides of the equation, both arguments. Uh, So if this or other topics similar, you know, about, say, the proof of who Jesus was or uh, what is the evidence concerning creation versus evolution, that's a hot topic, uh, you know, today, because uh, ironically, 90% of the world believes in a God or a religion of one form or another, which mostly has a foundation in in creation, but yet uh science says no, you know, that that we 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 we've evolved and, and it's more of a uh um luck of the draw, if you will. So, you know, we dig into that. We dig into what do the sciences show, what does what does the evidence show? Where does the evidence lead us? Uh why should I believe the Bible? Um Maybe maybe we go into other areas pertaining to today: the impacts of modern technology, transhumanism, artificial intelligence, human gene editing. Uh, How does that line up with 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 what we're seeing in the Word of God? Um, The global financial markets, the influence of the the large banks, the large corporations, or or the uh, uh, favored families, the elite families of the uh, political and financial world. So. You know, we, we, we really just try to dig deep on, on these and other topics that I think are, are of interest. So let me uh, let me move forward with what we're talking about today. Who was guarding the tomb? And the reason for this is uh, it's very important that the information about Jesus' resurrection did not get out in his day. Um, the Sanhedrin priests and, and, and the hierarchy of the day, uh, we're trying to stifle Jesus. We're trying to stop this movement of, of, of people that were uh, following him and, 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 and acting out uh, on his word and performing miracles. So, you know, eventually the, that led to his crucifixion, which was foretold thousands of years, well, over a thousand years earlier uh, in scripture uh, in, in such incredible detail. You, you, know, you can't deny it. It's mathematically impossible. So I, 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 I'm going to title this first section. We're going to have a couple of sections of who was guarding the tomb. So let me begin. So I would like to begin with the scripture of Matthew twenty-seven forty-five through 66. Rather lengthy, but it sets it up really well. Uh, although the, these accounts are covered in all the Gospels, I, I, I think this really gets to uh, most of what we want to cover. Uh, It says, and and if you're following us on video, um, you know, you'll you'll see it on the screen. Or if you're listening to a podcast, uh, you know, if you want to get out your Bible, Matthew 27, 45 through 66. So the word says, and now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing this said, the man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a uh, a reed and gave it for him to drink. But the others said, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Uh, The book of John shows us in 1930 that the words that he cried out at the end is, it is finished. Uh, the next scripture is the next couple of lines are very telling. It says, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. This is next line. Listen closely. I I mean, this is never talked about. The tombs also were opened. Now there was a lot of graves in that, in that area where Jesus was being crucified, uh, with, with the two criminals. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection. And they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So let me pick this apart a little bit here. So not only will we see that there is evidence of the resurrection of Jesus and he appeared to countless others and, and they bore witness to that. But here you you have people appearing and rising up out of the tomb. And then after he's resurrected, they go into the holy city, meaning Jerusalem, because this is happening right on the outskirts of of Jerusalem. So this resurrection covered others beside Jesus. Let me put it that way. Uh, So let me go back to verse 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The earth shook, rocks were split. Obviously, we have some type of... Tremor or earthquake. There are plenty of other cultures and other regions of of the world testifying to to this other earthquakes or tremors that they had. Uh, there is also countless accounts of um, the sun turning dark, or you know, we we think that was probably some type of eclipse, because in midday uh, they, they said suddenly you know this everything became dark. So this is not just in Israel, not just in Jerusalem. There are other accounts in other cultures outside of the Bible that experience this as well. Um, and then it says that the curtain was torn in two. So there is a temple in, in Jerusalem, and this is where the the Sanhedrins and the priests are. And there's an inner court before you enter in what's called the Holy of Holies. And this, this curtain or this cloth is so big, it's... Sixty feet high, thirty feet wide, made of crimson and gold, and it's as thick as a man's hand. So no, no small no, 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 no small curtain, if you will. Um, and, and it was torn in two at the same time. obviously they're aware there's an earthquake happening. The, 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 the sun is turning dark and and this is happening. Jesus died. Uh, uh, tombs are being uh, emptied. So picture yourself seeing all this or you're one of the priests and you see all this and you're like, oh boy. Um, And that's kind of what the Romans said. Uh, If I jump over to verse 54, when the centurion and those were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly this was the Son of God. So you know, having second thoughts about what they did now, they realize all this is happening around them. Um, And if I jump down to verse 57, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was the disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his new tomb, which he had cut from the rock and he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. So this is a fulfillment of another prophecy because it said that the Messiah would would be killed and he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Sure enough, Joseph of Arimathea is that rich man. Uh, verse 62, the next day, that is, that after the day of preparation, I should have prefaced this by saying uh, Jesus died on Passover. He was the the sacrificial lamb that, that, that came. So even though they were celebrating Passover uh, in the city and perhaps some would still be putting blood on their doorpost as a, as a sign or a symbol, here you had the literal sacrificial lamb being crucified and slain miles, blocks, you know, not, not far away from where they were celebrating. So the Pharisees went before Pilate and they said, Sir, we remember how the imposter, because Jesus is the imposter, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. So they're already setting the stage. Uh, they don't want this information going out there. They're, they're concerned, so they go to great lengths to have uh, this, this, this information stifled. stifled. Uh, Pilate says, look, you have a guard of soldiers. A guard is a, 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 a member of, a, I'm sorry, a quantity of 16. A Roman guard is 16 soldiers. These are tough guys. These are military people. This is military captivity you're in now. This is the Roman Empire. Um, so they've got to you know, keep the peace and sometimes be rough about it. So these guys uh, are the ones who are commissioned, if you will, or assigned to guard the tomb And I should say that at that time, if you were a guard and you were guarding a post and you slept, the penalty was death because the implication was that you were being irresponsible to the people that you were serving with and working with. So here it is. They're going to seal the tomb. Uh, The Sanhedrins are going to make sure of that. And they've got Pilate who agree to give him a guard of 16 soldiers, 16 Roman soldiers, to make sure nothing, no funny business happens. So what I'd like to do now is, as I said, the resurrection is the core foundation. Uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he, he kind of lays it out and gets in your face with this. 1 Corinthians fifteen fourteen through 15, the first line, and I have it here on the screen if you're watching on video. And if Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. So right there he's saying, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, all bets are off. What you're doing, what you're going after, who you're chasing, it's, it's, it's all for naught. So that's a pretty bold statement. Um, he goes on to say in fifteen three through 6, uh, listen to this. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Uh, I should say that, you know, he's writing this letter to the Corinthian church in Corinth, uh, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So he's telling you he's done what was, uh, what was fulfilled by the Old Testament. These are Jewish men and women. They know the Scriptures. That this is what they do. Paul was a devout Jew. Um, he, he persecuted these people. But he came to know and understand that Jesus rose from the dead and he wound up giving his life literally uh, to the Lord. Um, And then he goes on to say that he appeared to Cephas, uh, Cephas, I'm sorry, then to the 12, meaning the apostles. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. So he's kind of telling you, look, if you don't believe me, a lot of these people are still alive. And at one point, over 500 of them he appeared to. So, you know, that's like if somebody said, well, somebody was miraculously healed and you saw this, Uh, you know, you're still around that you can say, yeah, go check it out. I saw this or come to me and I could be a witness to that. Um, So scripture also points out um, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, to the other women, uh, to the 11 disciples and others. Um, John's account, the 10 apostles, except for Thomas. Um, Later, Thomas writes at a different occasion, he appears to the apostles with Thomas. That's the doubting Thomas. Jesus allows him to put his finger on his side. He sees the holes in his hands. So he, you know, he makes this clear. Um, another occasion in John, he appears to seven disciples, and remember, he appears appears to them all at the Mount of Olives before his ascension. Um, and one interesting thing I didn't notice this until I was looking into it. Um, Paul says in that same First uh, Corinthians in fifteen, then he appeared to James. Now James is his half brother. James was a non believer. He did not believe that his half brother was the Messiah. And then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me, meaning Paul. Um so I, I wonder about that conversation that Jesus had with James. Here he appears you know he I should say he first appeared to women, but what Paul is alluding to is out of all the apostles, he chose James to be the first one. Um so here he calls his half brother and his half-brother winds up leading the church in Jerusalem. So I'm going to say they, they, had, they had a good talk, uh, it, it, and, and he came around. What I'd like to discuss now, because I'm trying to lay the foundation of the resurrection first and foremost, that it was real, before we go into where he was. So there's for the people who like to object to it, there's four theories. One is called the swoon theory, uh, where he didn't actually die. Uh, another one's called the no-burial theory. He wasn't put in that tomb. Another one is the mass hallucination theory. And finally, the stolen body. These are the four principal objections that people will come up with, that Jesus was never resurrected. Um, the swoon theory says he wasn't really dead. He went to a coma. And he somehow, because of the cool air or the grave or the, uh, the tomb, that he was able to revive himself Open up the tomb and get out. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. I go into detail on some of these things if you're watching on video, if you want to get more into it, but um, just, you know, remember that the Romans were the ones who first reported Jesus dead. They stuck the spear in his side, the water came out, medical doctors, cardiologists will tell you that's the sign of death from a heart attack, heart failure. Um, So these soldiers, you couldn't mess with them. If if they're dead, they're dead. And he, they had to make sure. And normally they would have broken the bones to take him down, but because he was already dead, no bones were broken. Again, another prophecy that was foretold that he would die with no broken bones. Um, there's the, uh, the no burial theory that he was thrown into a mass grave, uh, mass hallucination theory that, you know, these people would just Hallucinating, they didn't. They didn't really see him. And finally, the stolen body theory, uh, which is really what the Sanhedrin's were trying to block. That that didn't really happen. Um, So Jesus' disciples took his body supposedly in order to fulfill Jesus' words. You know, past the Roman guards and so forth. But these were the guys who were scared. They ran away from him. They didn't want to have anything to do with him. Uh, People who were looting that as Jesus' followers, they said, "No, we have nothing to do with it." So. I just kind of wanted to point that out. Um, and again, I've got a lot of the details on this uh, as to just, it's really ridiculous when you look at it, but I, I did want to present it. So uh, my next slide here is, it outlines what they think was the grave of uh, or the tomb of, of Jesus or something similar to it. Um, I wanted to point out here that there's the area where he would have been laid, and there's another separate area where the, the face cloth would have been. And, and again, you see that if you're watching this on video, but if not, you know, if you're listening to the podcast, just picture that you know, there's an area within the tomb that the body lays, and then there's another area in that same tomb where you can put some other things. And in this case, it was a cloth. Um, so John 19.38, uh, and after this, Joseph of Arimathea, a disciple of Jesus, secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. Uh, So he came away, took away the body. Nicodemus, another member of the Sanhedrin, he's the infamous conversation uh, that he had concerning being born again, Um, he he became a, a believer. So Nicodemus, who had first come to him at night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 Roman pounds. That's a lot of myrrh and aloe. And this is how they buried the dead in that day. They didn't have embalming fluid or, or burial fluid. Um, and I, more than likely, they got this custom from the Egyptians when from their time in captivity. As many people know, the Egyptians would mummify the dead. They would wrap them in embalming fluids. But what's interesting here, and it's central to um, somebody who came to faith in Jesus uh, when he looked at this. So I'm going to talk for a minute about Simon Greenleaf. Simon Greenleaf was one of the founding Supreme Court justices of the United States. He wrote the the book on on how we try um, whether a, a situation is guilty, not guilty, or you know whatever outcome that you need to do. So that breakdown of the evidence, that breakdown of truth versus um, non-truth or lies, however you want to call it. Uh, or whatever verdict needs to be rendered, it's not always as simple, uh, you know, as that. But there's a set of um, procedures and steps that he wants, the, wanted the courts to go through. This is the foundation. So when the justices evaluate cases today, this is the foundation of which of what they look at. Um. So he was intrigued because he he uh, what happened was his students challenged him. He was a non-believer. He was an atheist is my understanding, although raised Jewish. Um, they challenged him to try the resurrection of Jesus in his own manner of which he's established the rule of law in the United States to kind of put Jesus on trial. So one of the things that stuck out to him, uh, along with the eyewitness accounts, is that there was this 75 to 100 pounds of incense and that they mummified Jesus and um, it could be 100 pounds of aloe or 100 pounds combined, but let's keep it conservative and say 75 to 100 pounds combined and keep it conservative. Jesus is a 150 to 175 pound man. That means if the um, apostles took him out and escaped, they would be carrying a 250 pound um, mummified body past the Roman guards, past everybody in the area, uh, so It's just it's it's ridiculous. But what and it wasn't so much that that uh, as far as the 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 absurdity of, of that, but it was what they saw. And, and this is really what turned Simon Greenleaf. He studied this for six years and eventually came to the conclusion that Jesus Christ is the son of God rose from the dead and he, he was resurrected Um And because he examined this evidence for six years he did not want to come to this conclusion but he was honest in his own evaluation so I apologize up front if you are watching this on video because you have to deal with my horrendous artwork Um, what I've done is uh, just kind of picture the person walking in uh, when they're looking for Jesus after the after the uh, crucifixion that they have this mummified body of, of arms and legs. Um, and then there's a piece off to the side where they can, they can go look. Uh, that's where the face cloth was. So verse 40 of John 19. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, let me go back to 38. Let me set this stage right. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, a disciple of Jesus, secretly for the fear of the Jews. Oh, we said this, I'm all right, sorry. Verse, yeah, 40. So they took Jesus' body. This is uh, uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. So they took Jesus' body, bound it in linen wrappings with the fragrant spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now there was a garden at the place where he was crucified, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one yet had been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish prepar- Jewish day of preparation, meaning Passover, they can't work at night, past sundown. Since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So they enwrapped him in, his, in, in the linen cloths with the embalming fluid. This would eventually turn to what we would know as a cast today. If somebody broke an arm or a leg, they put a cast on, except this was the whole body. This was a body cast of embalming fluid, so that, uh, that smell and that deterioration of flesh would not occur. This is very important because he said, okay, w- w- what happened when people looked in the tomb? So if you look at this next slide, um, Simon Greenleaf, this is really one of the key points that, that turned him. Um, now I'm going to read uh, John 20, verse 1 through 10. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, saw the stone already moved from the groove, uh, already moved from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple John, whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they laid him. So Peter and John, the other disciple, left and they went to the tomb. As the two were running together, the other disciple John outran Peter and arrived first. So John, stooping in, looking in, he sees the linen wrappings neatly lying there, but he did not go in. So he sees the the wrappings of Jesus' body lying there and not not touched. Then Simon Peter comes up behind him, goes into the tomb, sees the linen wrappings lying there, and then he sees the burial face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, because remember, they they did not finish wrapping his head, not lying with the other wrappings, but rolled up nicely in a place by itself. It's important to note here that Jewish custom, if the master is done, he folds his napkin with the table. He folds his napkin and he walks away. So whoever's coming in, the servant to clean up, knows that, okay, the napkin's folded, he's done. If the napkin's not folded, that means leave it, I'm coming back. Interestingly, Jesus does not fold the napkin, leaves it crumpled, meaning he's coming back and he literally did. Uh, so the other disciple, John, who reached the tomb first, went in and he saw the wrappings and the face cloth and believed without any doubt that Jesus had risen from the dead. So I give you a, an example if you if you see this uh, on, on video of a nurse walking into um, a hospital bed with a patient and a body cast, but there's no head. That's similar to what they would have seen. And I just want to read a quote from Simon Greenleaf. He says, Let let the gospel's testimonies be sifted as if it were in a court of justice on the side of the adverse party. The witness being subjected to a rigorous cross-examination, the result, it is confidently believed, will be an undoubting conviction of the integrity, ability, and truth. This is from testimony of the evangelist written by Simon Greenleaf, the Gospels, as examined by the rules of evidence. Pretty strong stuff. The other closing argument that Simon had was was also pretty compelling. He noticed that all of the apostles and others went to the death uh, as as martyrs for Jesus. Not just, you know, a month, two months, a year, two years, five years we're talking 50 60 70 years later they were tortured and 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 killed and you know his logic is look you know if if you're going to defend this you're not going to go to your death 50 years later and these people consistently because they encountered the risen Jesus were willing to die uh, James the brother of Jesus was uh, w- was beaten and stoned at the age of 94 eventually had his brains beat out. Peter's brother Andrew was arrested and crucified uh, in Edessa. The two ends were fixed transversely into the ground, hence the, the explanation of St. Saint, Saint Andrew's cross today. Uh, 34 AD, 2,000 Christians were, were, were killed by the Romans. Uh, Luke was hung to death on an olive tree by an idolatrous priest in Greece. Stephen, as many know, was stoned to death. Paul's face was so dramatic in the face of his killers that they had to put him, put him away, and kill him privately. So he probably had this incredible appearance and glow that they they couldn't even do it in public. Peter was crucified upside down at his own request. He said, "I'm not worthy to be crucified the way Jesus is." James, the son of Zebedee and the elder brother of John, was killed by Herod Agrippa. Uh, Jude. Uh, I'm sorry, Thomas, was put to death by the sword uh, in India from pagan pri- from pagan priests. This is Thomas, the doubting Thomas. Matthias was stoned in Jerusalem and beheaded, and so forth and so on. There's one other interesting account that didn't work, and it was the Apostle John. They tried to kill him, but he wouldn't die. They, they were so sick and twisted, they put him in a vat of boiling oil and no harm came to him and it was only by the miracle in the hand of Jesus why because Jesus still had work for him to do he was later sentenced to patmos where he wrote the book of revelation so these are the things that that simon greenleaf saw and you know as well as others and and i i can say i've had personal experiences not seeing jesus but jesus in my life so uh you know all, all that to say the resurrection is established, and, and it, if, if you want more information, I've laid it out in another video that, that talked about the proof of the resurrection. And again, looking at m- many other outside sources from the Bible that, that will bear this out. So this is the end of this section here. I'd like to thank you very much uh, for, for joining us. And again, if, if you like this and other topics, please hit the like or subscribe um, I hope to see you again soon. We're in our next section. Please stay tuned or log in. Uh, we're going to talk about where are the dead now. Uh, this has a vital importance of where Jesus went. So if you want to know where maybe past relatives or friends are uh, have gone. Uh, this, this will show you, and they'll show you exactly where the dead are today and what the final outcome will be. So please join us again soon. I'd like to thank you. This is Mark Russick. You've been listening to The Russick Outlook. And as always, Just My Opinion.